0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the Lost and Found podcast. Today, I have on political professional, my cousin, and very knowledgeable human being, Eric Lawson. Thank you for joining me. Hey, good
1: morning. How are you? It's great to be here. I've been uh, very busy. So I, uh, I moved uh, from working in government to the private sector about a year ago. And uh, the last six, uh, eight, 10 months, how, or weeks, however, however long it's been here in, in working from home status uh, has been among the most busy I have been since I moved to the private sector. Really? Uh, and you know, just sort of distilling down what I do is, you know, I help uh, organizations, businesses, uh, solve problems with the government or find some opportunities. And uh, perhaps not surprisingly, lots of folks have found that they have problems working through the government right now. and So uh, I've had to help a, quite a few clients navigate the system and, and try to find uh, opportunities to keep the businesses open or uh, keep their workers paid. Uh, so it's it's been a pretty busy work-wise uh, time frame uh, during the coronavirus uh, lock-in.
0: Right. So explain a little bit more about why this would be a busier time for you. So um,
1: I think uh, for the, t- the typical things that we're trying to help our clients do, it's become a bit more challenging with uh, you know, Congress working remotely, federal agencies not having mm-hmm. staff in their offices and just... Trying to find them, trying to line up calls with them, engage, uh, find a way of getting the client's uh, voice across to the stakeholders is just more challenging. And then, you know, we have uh, manufacturers who are trying to argue that they are an essential business because they're providing uh, a good or a service that's, that's vital, uh, and they want to keep their workers employed. And so in some states, in some locations, they have not always been in initially designated as essential. And so yeah. trying to navigate that has been uh, uh, somewhat difficult, uh, but we want to try and help them out, and, and to the extent that that means people are getting paychecks, and that's an important thing to do.
0: Right. I I think it gets very messy when you talk about what is essential and what's not, because I don't I don't know how you really draw that line. But what was your take on, you know, what is essential and what was not? Do you think? Right. that they
1: tried to. Um, it depends on the level of government you're talking about. You know, the federal government. I think tried to uh designate some some broad categories uh that you know in some fringe cases are going to be eye of the beholder sort of things right um but you know you need to keep the trains running you got to keep the buses running and the cars running and so transportation and the movement of goods is very uh important folks who supply to national security are very important anybody who's involved in the health sector is is very important uh you know, but then you start getting into some, you know, if a grocery store can be open, what about a restaurant? And then, right. you know, it's it's more of a judgment call uh, that folks are making. Um, I think it's also overlaid with, you know, in some cases more than others, uh, people looking at it through the public health prism, And, you know, it's not a, an area of expertise for me. And so we try to trust the professionals who say, well, you know, you're just going to be too packed in, too close together, and it's going to be a, a hazard for people to you know, be in a in a crowded restaurant or a bar or a movie theater. And so they're making calls based on a level of knowledge that most folks don't have about what's safe and what's not. And that may not have always been well communicated to people. So they're saying, you know, you're shutting us down, you're you're locking us in, this is all a hoax, or this is overplayed, when there may be some real legitimate reasoning to it that, you know, trumps, uh, you know, the, the economic interest of a small business. Um, so, you know, there's a, a number of different factors involved. I think People have, by and large, done what they felt was right. Um, you know, Perhaps that's trying to take a risk-averse approach where uh, even if it meant a little harm on the front end, you're trying to look out for the broader society and keeping people safe and healthy. Yes,
0: yeah, so on my website, I actually did uh, a survey, herd immunity versus vaccine slash therapeutic. What, what would we wait for or what should we have done? And uh, 60% said vaccine. And forty percent said herd immunity. And I've read some journals, peer reviewed journals that said us coming out of this uh you know, this quarantine, this very strict quarantine, gonna leave our immune systems a little bit tampered with other than if we did the herd immunity, you know, we should have just start it from the beginning. So, you know, there's not really a happy medium that we're kind of reaching right now. So I'm interested to see where this goes in the coming months, you know, if we see another spike and uh if that mortality rate does change.
1: Right. Well, I think it'll be interesting just also to see what social behavior people adopt or don't and whether right. or not there's any sort of regional distinction among that. Uh, are the folks, you know, on the in the blue states going to do things differently than the folks in the red states or urban areas or rural areas and, and what outcomes does that lead to. Um, and so that's, you know, above and beyond whatever policies the government puts in place. Um, you know, I think also we have a uniquely American approach to this. Uh, and so there's certainly a a perception of freedom overlaid on top of the public health and the economic concerns that has affected people's perception of it. Um, and I think people are just, you know, stuck at home, pent up, and there's sort of like a desire to go out there and be with people, uh, that, that hopefully isn't sort of like the, the feedback loop of, you know. People doing the good thing for a while and then going and, you know, over engaging, you know, like yeah, people saw in that it. picture of, uh, you know, that, that, that resort at Lake of the Ozarks, you know, where there <laughs> yeah. all these people packed that into a all bowl. over the place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think it's just, did we take the right path is, you know, because people have all this pent up energy, uh, you have protests now, you have people just wanting to be social. And I think you know it's going to be really interesting to see how this pans out for me. You know, I I've looked at this. You could either be, you know, really sad about the situation, or you could kind of take a step back and just appreciate what it's done for your mind. You know, having more free time to explore. You know, different hobbies, or uh, kind of just appreciating your family a little more. I think I've definitely uh, grown closer to my family. During this time. So it's been it's been interesting. Have you picked up any uh hobbies? Anything new? Well, yeah, we've tried to uh
1: we've tried to keep it fresh and do some new things. So we've engaged in some uh baking like like everybody else, you know, sort of like getting out there and trying to learn how to make bread. Uh so we've made brioche and we made bagels and I I took a stab at making baguettes and that didn't work out so well. The other ones were pretty good. Um we uh we made pickles this weekend. I uh we had a bench that was falling apart in the yard, so I built a new bench. Um, I've home-brewed beer before, and so I've gotten back into that a little bit. I have some cider that's working its way into uh, being hard cider in the basements. Um, and then we get out, and we try to go and visit new parks and do some hiking and cycling with my son and uh, just just to get out of the house and get some fresh air and um we'll see if we start exploring a little further as we get some more freedom in the next couple of weeks but uh, how about yourself
0: uh yeah so i took up woodworking um i made a floating shelf in my room right here and then i recently just made a slab coffee table out of a uh, maple and then i'm working on a sycamore slab that's going to be a sofa table um that i got from my local woodworking guy yeah so Then any, I I mean, I just finished school a couple weeks ago, so I've been doing school as well. Mm -hmm. I kind of just finished up, and trying to think of anything else. But yeah, when it comes to baking, I was first couple weeks of uh, quarantine, all the baking supplies were just sold out. Yeah, because everybody is just comfort food. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Flour and yeast. Let's talk about how you got into politics and accomplishments, or you know, your resume. Yeah. Overall.
1: Well, I think uh you know, I think most people have some very, you know, an interesting story that talks about how they got into the field that they're working in. Uh I initially uh thought I was gonna be an engineer. I went to Georgia Tech. Uh my grandfather had gone there and, and you know, I'd done well on math and science in high school and so folks were just like steering me in that direction and uh, I, I opted for electrical engineering, which, which um, you know, is not something you can physically see the the mechanics of and it's flowing. And So after a couple of years and working in a co-op job where I was working on circuits to make your cable television a bit more clear and very high, <laughs> very low temperatures, so it's like, you know, this really isn't for me. This is uh, not uh, giving me a spark. Uh, I, I realized that, you know, it was a very, um, uh, independent uh, type of work activity. And so, you know, I spent many of my days at a desk, sort of hunched over a circuit board and playing around with some uh, testing and evaluation equipment and and interacting with other people very little. Uh, And so I had sort of been in school all four quarters for three straight years. I took my first quarter off, uh, traveled across the country, uh, and a friend of mine was like, dude, everywhere you go, you get into these really engaging conversations with people about <laughs> politics and, uh, you know, uh, you should think about government or politics. And and so I found a program at uh, the school that uh, was focused on uh, history and, and technology and society and, and uh, found it very interesting and got some internships working on a campaign and then in a local congressional office. And it really just sort of took from there. And so when I graduated, that office hired me to work in their local congressional office, uh, helping people out with problems they had with governments, you know, folks who uh, were veterans who weren't getting the benefits they thought they were entitled to, or people in the military who needed a a change of station for a family matter or something like that. You know, it really got the sense that what you were doing was meaningful. It had a positive effect on people's lives. Some of the time, other times you couldn't solve their problems, but uh, it certainly gave a sense of purpose uh, that was uh, engaging and gave you a sense of value for your time and your effort.
0: And I thought I would
1: need to go to law school or get a master's or something to go up and walk, work on legislation in, in Washington, D.C. But the congressional office and the, the congresswoman I was working for gave me the opportunity to work on some policy issues locally, and they saw that I, uh, I enjoyed it and maybe I had some acumen at it. And so they said, Hey, would you like to come and work in our Washington, D.C. office? So, We uh, moved from Atlanta up here to D.C. in the very early part of 2001, and uh, I worked for that member of Congress for another two years before, unfortunately, uh, she lost. Uh, It's sort of an occupational hazard. And then I went to uh, work for another member of Congress. Uh, They ran for governor and won, and so I worked in the federal affairs office of that governor for four years. And then I went back to Congress and I worked for uh, a congressman from Chicago, Dan Lipinski, for a little more than 10 years and uh, became his chief of staff and served in that role for about eight years uh, and then left that position uh, in uh, spring of 2019 and, and moved on to uh, government relations uh, and lobbying about, uh, you know, since then. Uh, so about 15 months or so I've been doing that. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's been a, an interesting career and transition so far. And I feel young and that I still have a lot to offer, and so I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing.
0: You have very deep roots in, you know, the government now. How does that help being in the private sector now, just having all those connections?
1: Sure. Well, I think, um, you know, I, I don't think you'll find too many people who would disagree with the sentiment that the government is big. Whether it's too big or not is, is another debate, but it's big. Uh, It's got lots of uh, tentacles in different uh, areas of uh, society. And understanding how it works is is not an easy thing. It's not uh, easy to navigate. It's not easy to know who to call or how to reach out to people to try and get a question answered or uh, work on influencing an outcome in a a regulation or a determination or some policy. Uh, And so I think my experience um, gives me an understanding of that landscape. I've always thought that working in Congress was sort of like being uh, in grad school or college again because (laughs) you learn an issue because it's coming up for a vote or because something in the world has happened and you need to understand um, how it's going to get addressed. And then the issue goes away or that vote takes place and you move on to the next issue. And so it's this constant uh, turnover uh, of issues that you work on. and, And I think it's, my my the positions I've had have sort of left me as a generalist there's certainly some areas that I I have focused on more than others but uh you know it's it's sort of like going through like a curriculum of learn this learn this learn this and move on to the next thing and it gives you a frame of reference um if something comes up and you say oh, I think I worked on something very similar in the past or I have a, a model that fits this policy issue uh well and here's how it worked or didn't work and it um, gives you an informed basis uh, that not everybody's going to have.
0: It's interesting you say that because I was talking about this with some of my peers and why there isn't a term limit in Congress because, you know, some of them are bought out, as you know, by certain industries. So I was just wondering your take on that. And that makes a lot of sense that you say, you know, it's very hard to pick up that system, that congressional system. So, yeah, I just wanted your take on that. Sure. That issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, there are a number of states that have enacted term limits. And so there are models for people to go and look at and see what works and what hasn't. Um, I think, uh, as you were just referring to, that uh, one's experience in Congress is a learning exercise. And so if you give somebody only three terms, um, they're only going to learn so much. And they're going to only understand the system so much and have so much consequence. certainly there are disadvantages to that of people becoming sort of careerists and whether or not uh, people think that they're beholden to an industry or something like that. Um, but there's also a lot of expertise and seniority that should develop as well. And so in California, for instance, uh, they have term limits for their uh, general assembly and people have argued, I, I don't know enough about it to have my own view on it, but people have argued that uh, when you take away the seniority and experience of the elected officials, you Uh, put more power into the hands of those who understand the system and that's going to be the staff uh, that work for them if they are sort of long-term professional staff or lobbyists who you know aren't inhibited by term limits and can stay there working in the private sector influencing legislation and understanding from the outside in how the system works um, and so that they they can uh, have more influence so you know there are trade-offs in these things um, but uh yeah i did conduct
0: this survey on my website once again for that and i was overwhelmingly you know 88 percent said congress does need term limits but right. talking more about this i do see you know the other side and the effectin- effectiveness of having um a senior level person in that position mm-hmm. so yeah very interesting yeah. um
1: I mean, I think people see politicians in a much different light than most other professions, and probably for some good reasons. Uh, but I think it is a profession. You uh entrust them, uh, you want them to do well. And I think that in any other sort of profession, uh teachers, police officers, you know, two industries that are very uh uh you know front page right now, or or healthcare workers, doctors. You're going to prefer somebody who has experience and knowledge from uh, having gone through a scenario like what you're experiencing right now than somebody who's green on the job. And I think that that certainly there's there's crossover to that in politics. Too.
0: Yeah, I looked at this uh, funny diagram. It's all the seats in Congress and it's what industries have, you know, or what seats have certain allegiance to certain industries like oil or, um, big tech, uh, mm-hmm. what have you. And I found it really interesting. Um, but yeah, let's segue into the next thing, uh, concerning universal healthcare and or basic income. What is your views on that? Especially now that we have the stimulus, uh, checks, you know, going into most Americans pockets. Um, and even, you even got to my parents. We didn't even expect that. We got a $400 card sent to us, which was surprising. What is your you know, view on universal healthcare and then, and or basic income?
1: Right. Yeah, I think, um, the universal basic income is, is, um, it's, it's new in terms of being introduced into sort of the American political debate. Uh, healthcare has been something that's been debated for, for decades. Um, I think that there's some merit to it. Um, it's, uh, shown to have some good economic uh, value that uh, oftentimes it uh, has a lot of spillover back into the economy. So it's not necessarily getting tucked away into people's savings accounts for a rainy day. Right. Uh, but those who really need the money are gonna be spending it on food and healthcare and housing. And then those who don't, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for them to uh, apply to charity, uh, increase perhaps some expenditures, save it for education. And Um, so, you know, in terms of the way government sort of incentivizes activity, uh, this is perhaps better than, you know, other, other forms of doing so. Um, you know, how that gets played out, is it, uh, you know, the same amount for everybody every month? Is there sort of a means testing by which you're going to give a little bit more money to certain people and less to others who need it less? Um, are you going to try and limit where they spend it? Uh, the form and how they receive it, like a like a debit card or cash, uh, and you want to try to in- maintain um, the incentive for people to work, so that this isn't necessarily uh, disincentivizing people. I think that's a that's a big concern. Uh, in the few places, it's apparently been tested that hasn't always been the case, and that people uh, it doesn't demotivate people from going and, and seeking out jobs, and in some ways helps them get jobs if they means uh, that they have better access to the job or the ability to go get the clothes, that they need to be presentable for interviews, or things like that. So I think it's worth uh, considering and going further on. Uh, universal healthcare. care, um, I mean, I think in the abstract, it's, it's a great concept. Uh, it's, you know, you never really know when somebody's going to fall ill uh, and whether or not that's going to coincide with a good opportunity in your life to, to resolve those challenges. Are you employed? Are you well-employed? Do you have good health care? Do you have uh, child care and things of that nature? Um, you know, the current design that we have where most people get their health care through their jobs it creates uh, curious dynamics. And, you know, in in, in in a scenario where we've just had for the last three months <coughs> where uh, – Lots of people lost their jobs uh, because the economy and, and the government rules about uh, what businesses could and couldn't be open. At the same time, you had the coronavirus floating around, and many people needed healthcare more than ever. But you had lots of people losing their healthcare because of their relationship to their jobs. So I think you know the transition from what we have now to some future scenario where is it a Medicare for all setting or is it some other sort of uh, public option? where it maintains private health insurance you know that's a very challenging uh, transition uh but i think that there's a lot of meritorious reasons why we should certainly find ways of expanding access to healthcare for people
0: see i don't know my my current take on this issue on these issues is you know it's a double-edged sword is is that what i'm thinking correctly yeah so um basically you have on one side private healthcare which you know pushes medicine constantly forward because you're making it a profitable entity and then you have um, universal basic income which with the rise of ai and robotics could you know become a bigger player in the future i don't know if you've heard andrew yang mm-hmm. talk about it a little bit i found that very interesting he was talking about how ai would play into um, you know, the rise of universal basic income. And also, I think you could incentivize receiving the basic income if you take, um, you know, a mandatory drug test to receive those said benefits.
1: Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you have to overcome some people's distrust of the government to uh, have an earnest debate about these types of things and that a lot of misconceptions that people have going into any sort of discussion about what the government does, uh, but look at what the outcomes are and what the potential is of making people's lives better. And if it wasn't the government doing it with some other entity, would they look at it in the same sort of light? <coughs> Excuse
0: me. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Segue into, I know you've worked in environmental policy. Um, I'm currently working in environmental informatics, which is just, you know, data science, pretty much on um, you know, environmental data. I don't know if you've heard in recent news, uh, Trump actually cut pretty much every environmental policy, um, through executive order. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yes,
1: I have seen that, It's
0: craziness, in my opinion. Even some new ones
1: on Friday where he, he took away certain protections of the national monument, uh, national marine monument it doesn't really make a lot of sense to
0: me. It's, I cannot see him winning in the 2020 election. I don't know. I don't know if you know the numbers or what's going to pan out, your predictions. Well,
1: uh, you know, I do get uh, polling data uh, coming through my inbox on a fairly regular basis. Um, I would have to say things don't particularly look very good for President Trump at the moment. Um, He's, uh, I read this morning, down uh, 12 points to uh, Vice President Biden in Michigan, uh, a state that uh, Trump won last uh, four years ago. Swing state? It is. It's, you know, it's a pretty purple state in one uh, that Obama won, uh, but then Trump won. And so it, along with Pennsylvania, Wisconsin or some of the states that had sort of swung in Trump's favor last time, but unclear whether or not they will do so this time. Wisconsin might, Pennsylvania probably not, and Michigan looks to be um, certainly trending towards Biden. Uh, places where uh, Republicans have historically done well and that Trump did well, but he's not necessarily right now. Uh, I think in Arizona, uh, Biden is ahead by a few. And I have seen polling that shows uh, Biden and Trump tied in Georgia, which is uh, not uh, elected a Democrat uh, to president in in a number of cycles, probably since Jimmy Carter, and uh, hasn't had a a Democrat in in the Senate since uh, the mid-2000s. So, you know, uh, those are certainly trending away uh, from the president. I would say though that um, 2020 has just been quite a year, right? And <laughs> yes. it's only five I months have... over. Um, to think I think that, it.
0: I think it's a year of change, though. You could look at yeah. it from that. You could look at it that from, from that aspect. Yes.
1: Um, uh, very dynamic. Um, but I think you know, like history is being written so quickly. It's hard to look back and think that well, it was only in January, four months ago, that the president was uh, getting going through the impeachment trial. Uh, and people, when that was wrapped up, said, oh, you know, the president's going to do great. He beat his charges back. And that was going to define the election. The Democrats were going to catch a lot of uh, flack for blowback uh, blow on this. And then, you know, that, that seems like so very last year. Uh, and But everybody at the time said this is going to determine the outcome of the election. Right. And then you had, you know, Iran and, and the uh, Killing crazy. of Soleimani People and we forget their, about that, right? Yeah, that's uh, crazy. The shoot down of the Ukrainian aircraft, and uh, you know, issues about uh, the, the border crossings and, and kids and family detentions and, and child separation policies that you don't see written or talked about very much now. Which is all to say that, um, and we have five, six more months until the election. Um, you know, we can stand here today and say, well, are the, the protests about George Floyd going to affect this? And, and what about the president's handling of the coronavirus? We don't know what's going to happen yet. There are so many other things that could yet happen that could have some effect on the, out- of the election that I think we've got to sort of be eyes wide open.
0: Have you seen that video, the George Floyd video?
1: I've watched parts of it. you uh, watched parts of it? Yeah, I have not watched the entire eight minutes and 45 seconds. I... Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, it's important. I think I'm aware of what goes on in the course of that. I just don't necessarily want to be emotionally yeah. shocked by, you know, witnessing his, his death in that way. Uh, and, and in a situation, I certainly didn't need to,
0: in a respectful way. I mean, yeah. I understand. Exactly. I, I ended up just watching the whole thing. I don't know how it happened. Just, I just kept staring at it. Just couldn't put my phone down. And before you know it, the stretcher comes out. I'm like, wow, they actually, he, that he actually just killed george floyd and um you have to think there's a camera in his face there are people pleading to get off of him and there's 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 three other cops on the scene that were just complicit with the situation so you have to think how are they going to be charged which is which gets messy right. as well
1: right well and uh what sort of uh mind have going through that they think like I'm doing something bad, but nobody's ever going to come down on us, or this guy deserved it, or, you know, and if you could have sort of – somebody who had some sense of things and said, you know, officer, think about what's going to happen if you go through with this, and if you take this man's life, think about the, the ramifications, you know, lose your job, you're going to go to jail, your wife's going to divorce you, and you're going to set cities on fire, uh, literally, figuratively. Would he have, like, heard you? Would he have changed what he was doing? Right, um, so –
0: my view was I mean he had there's a crazy amount of um misconducts he had before this occurred, so you have to think you know this is a sick individual who probably was broken and needed some sort of help. I'm not standing up for him, but I think you know he was not in the right mindset to be a cop, and yeah. that's a fact um it, yeah, I mean who I did not know when I saw this video, obviously' terrible, but I did not know this was gonna spark such uh You know such protests, and I'm glad it has happened because, you know, I myself have learned more about racism, um, whether that be you know passive racism, uh, yeah. And I think this is a perfect storm because you know people have been pent up in their house. Uh, there's been a lot of anxious energy. So right, yeah, I think it was gives
1: people an outlet, and they have I think the headspace to to adjust it more than they nobody's working.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In in a normal setting, people are,
1: you know, busy and they're not, you know, they see the news, they give it half a passing thought and it's on to the next thing. And now I think people's lives are a bit more tranquil. Uh, Maybe that's not the right word, but it gives people more time to think and focus on these things uh, without feeling the need. They got to just move on to the right to the next thing. So, you know, I don't know if any change will come of this in the scope of the government. but. I think probably at some levels it will. In certain cities and states, I think there'll be some change. Uh, But I think it's less about the government than it is about people's uh, acknowledgement about what they may have witnessed in the past but didn't categorize or characterize as as racism, the role that people and businesses and the government play in uh, preventing change from moving forward and, and improvement on these situations. So hopefully, that at least in the sort of collective American psyche, there's a bit more appreciation for the, uh, the lingering injustice that still happens in a lot of places.
0: As a new voter in myself, what what can I do in my local government or just in general to kind of see change? Because I'm right. realizing more and more, you know, I used to be uh, like, I don't care about politics. That would just make me more anxious. <sighs> but now I'm getting kind of more into it. Um, You know, obviously, everybody has a voice. Um, in a democratic society in which we live in. Right. So. Well,
1: I mean, I think uh, it's important to reach out to your elected officials uh, to let them know that uh, that you care about a set of issues, that you're vocal about them and you're willing to be engaged, uh, because not that many people do it. Uh, I think right now, uh, you know, you're probably seeing a, an increase in the number of people who call their congressman or their – City councilmen, uh, because people are a bit more engaged on these issues. Uh, but if you look at just the percentages of the number of people who vote, if you get fifty or sixty percent in the upcoming presidential election, that will be will be good. And that means forty or fifty percent of the people are still not voting. And uh, so I think you know, being engaged, reaching out to your elected officials, going to town hall meetings, either virtually or in person. Uh, if you have a concern about an issue, everybody's got a website now. Everybody's got a form that you could submit a comment. Uh, it's important to weigh in because um, the more people that do, the more the, the elected officials are, are being watched and they know that there are people who care about issues and that they're tracking what they do, how they vote, what their activities are on those issues. Um, but it also sort of gets the dialogue going and it's important for those elected officials to you know, really have an understanding because if they're not hearing from you, how do they get a sense of what's important to their constituents? And if it's through the media, then that's a filter. And if it's through the special interest groups, then that's through a filter. And, you know, hearing directly from you is an important way of being engaged. Uh, and it's, you know, central to the way our government works. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's an important thing, you know, whether it's going out to protests or, uh, you know, if you find people that you support going in and working to try and keep them in office or to get them elected if you don't like the ones who are currently in office. And those are certainly a way of, of being engaged. But ultimately, I think, you know, we need more people to vote to just about any uh, community and pretty quickly identify uh, the evidence that um, there's still a lot of change that needs to occur, uh, be it either looking at uh, people's uh, access to health care, uh, the healthiness of certain uh, communities over others, people's access to jobs and education. Um, you know, and I think there's uh, a very... Uh, Real self-motivated uh, uh, perspective in the United States, and and I know there are some who say, "Well, folks can just bootstrap themselves and, and go to school and work hard and get a better job and do well, better." Well, you start off with a,
0: a disadvantage right off right. the bat, so yeah. it's just it's hard yeah. for you to catch up for that amount of time that you've right. already lost being a yeah. minority in America.
1: Some people have stairs to climb and other folks are trying to, yeah. you know, scramble up a slippery, slippery slide and always getting shuttled back to the bottom. Uh, so, so I don't think that there's an equal playing field and how that is resolved uh, is still going to take a lot of work uh, because even if you, you know, could take away uh, the perspective of color and race and ethnicity and hiring for jobs, you know, you're still going to have an imbalance in the education levels that people have and where they come from. And so that's a huge uh, change that needs to occur and affected by so many different things that are really interrelated in, in terms of, you know, access to quality food, access to jobs, good housing, healthcare, uh, you know, any one of these things has an effect on the other. And it's, uh, we have not necessarily had a comprehensive approach to trying to resolve, uh, you know, the, the lingering effects of, of slavery and segregation and uh, the injustices that, that still linger from that. All
0: right. Um, yeah, that's that's all very comprehensive. Uh, I forgot to ask you, when it comes to – have you seen Bernie Sanders' uh, tax brackets, kind of his tax layout? Uh, when it comes I, to income, when it comes to income taxes? Yeah, like, I mean I, I – I, uh, I can pull it up for you. Sure. All right. sounds very good to vote for Bernie until you know, you're know, you getting heavily taxed for kind of his – I don't know what they've called it. Is it democratic socialism? Is that yeah. what they're kind of marketing it as now? Right, so let's go to his website here. Yeah, he wants to do everything. I mean the guy wants to do Medicare for All, Green New Deal, which I back. That would be awesome. Let's see where his tax bracket is. All right, Bernie's tax plan. See what we got here all right, so Bernie's proposal compared to current, it really changes around when you hit so currently, if you make six hundred thousand dollars or above you stay in the same tax bracket as everybody else at thirty seven percent, which is craziness in my opinion uh Bernie's is if you make five hundred thousand to a million, this is where it changes you get 40% income tax. If you make a million, 4 million, 45%, 4 million to 20 million, 50%, 20 million to 52%. Or sorry, 20 million and above is just a flat 52%. Yeah. Seem crazy. That doesn't seem crazy to me. Just personally, uh, taxing people with very deep pockets that would otherwise just be spending it on ridiculous things or giving it to charities, nonprofit charities. Yeah. So,
1: well, and I think a lot of it gets uh, just passed down from generation to generation. So right. that sort of accumulation of wealth uh, really aggravates uh, the imbalance of our economy and, and uh, economic uh, situation in the United States.
0: Uh, is this bad or good? I'm I'm not trying to be you know ignorant when it comes to this right. topic because I know it's so much more complex than you know oh it's just easy to make you know a level playing field, but you know obviously right still very fresh like i've been saying um it's not
1: well i think uh certainly the uh the current situation in the united states uh gives a lot of advantages in the tax code to those who have resources over those who don't um and the the law that was passed in 2017 uh only aggravated that uh, imbalance uh and so i think that the tax code can Did and you should explain be that? I I... uh yeah it um uh, So in 2017, uh, the uh, Congress was controlled by Republicans, and President Trump was in charge uh, of the presidency. And so using that majority, they were able to pass a tax cut uh, that had a 10-year cost in excess of a trillion dollars, much of which they did not offset. So we are losing revenue and the ability to make expenditures on the things that people find important to education or transportation, what have you. Um, but some of the argument they made was, well, by reducing people's capital gains or reducing the tax rates uh that had been on the higher earners that people would then reinvest that money in the economy and create right. jobs and that it, it would pay for itself and you know, three years after the passage of that it, it, it was not borne out by truth and that it has only created a very small blip in uh new economic activity that is largely gone at this point and it it sort of uh, certainly reduced the amount of taxes that wealthy owners had to pay. You know, there was tax reductions for middle and lower income people as well, but much smaller in both uh, relative and absolute ways. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's a trickle down mentality about taxes and economic activity that uh, is more uh, philosophy than it is fact. And so I think um, we have a very uh, dire fiscal situation that a lot of folks don't talk about. The United States has over $20 trillion in debt. And, you know, the the recent spending that was uh, very crucial for coronavirus added 2 to $3 trillion to that amount. And there may be more coming this year. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to pay that back at some point. And, and if I'm having to make payments on that means that we're not making payments on other things that are important. Uh, which is to say that we need more revenue. And uh, I think both uh based on that need and, and the equality of things i think maybe not as stark as, as Bernie's proposal but certainly something that uh reestablishes a more progressive approach to taxation or something else.
0: do you like a lot of his plans you know um, who was your who was your dream candidate
1: well dream candidate i don't know if there was a, anybody <laughs> on the ballot that i would call a dream candidate um you know you're you're sort of uh um uh, making mental compromises on anything. Nobody's going to be perfect. Uh, right. Nobody was perfect by my, my perspective. But I, you know, I was a little worried that uh, the, the perspective, I think, that the government can solve any problem is something that I think is a little risky and that uh, we certainly need to be cognizant of the ability of the government to solve certain problems and ones that are sort of society-wide, be it educational or, or maybe healthcare. Uh but I also think that there's there's a limit to what can and should be done, both for practical purposes but also political purposes. I think, you know, those sort of ideas scare people and uh, those they scare sometimes are the ones who make the differences in elections. And so uh, you know, it it that's a philosophical question of sort of do you aspire and do you want to sort of go uh un uh, unvarnished into what you believe and say you know, we should forgive all student loan debt and we should defund the police or things like that. Oh, let's or talk about that. Sort let's, of like, I want to hear. Yeah.
0: Sorry. That's it? all right. All right. Go so ahead. when we're talking about defunding police, I've seen a lot of this, you know, right. in the media. What does that what does that even mean from does that mean get rid of police? Like, how does that work out? I don't understand. No, I, I think that, that, that that's crazy. Uh,
1: it. It does. And I think that's a risky uh semantic issue with the term that they're using is that for some people that means like get rid of them and shut them down and and i saw an article about that
0: actually we should get rid of police and i read it and i was just hand in the face the whole time
1: yeah that i don't think is is wise um i think that for most people who have been using this term is a way of taking away some of the resources that go into the police um you know i read this morning that they spend uh uh, close to $190 million a year in the New York City Police Department on counterterrorism, and they spend uh, less than that, $160 million, uh, give or take, on training. Mm. And so, you know, looking at what the priorities are, where the money is going, and perhaps steer some of the money that's going in the police to other programs. I think that's what the, the concept of Deep the Police is, and that, um, you know, some of the things that either can make the police more community-oriented or taking away some of the things that, lead the police to engage uh, the public or uh, certain individuals in a, a way that uh, involves more force are are things that uh, should be rebalanced. And I think that that is uh, the concept of which uh, defund the police is, is striving towards. Mm. I think there are some people who have a, a you know, very strident view that maybe they should be shrunk or reduced or eliminated. But there are examples. Um, such as Camden, New Jersey, where a a whole remake of a police department was undertaken. Uh, Camden Police Department in New Jersey, just across the river from Philadelphia, uh, had a history of of issues, and the state stepped in and and abolished the Camden Police Department and brought in state police to run uh, police activity in that community for some time. And then they sort of started from the ground up and built the police department that they really want. And by all reports, it's been very effective. Uh, reduced crime have better community relationships the police officers there marched with people in the last week demonstrating sort of the relationship that they have with individuals so i don't know if that's something be done everywhere i think each police department and community is different it's not something that probably needs to be a federal approach but something that uh, states and, and cities endeavor to figure out on their own but um yeah so i, I don't certainly support you know eliminating the
0: police right i think as you're saying you know it comes to where you allocate your money and i would think that you'd have to put you know more of your money into the training and the outreach more than supplies or you said counterterrorism i don't know if that is the police is that a police force well in new york um... city
1: and some other places they certainly uh are you know uh potential target and so they have to be prepared to a certain level because of that uh but you know i think they've done a good job you know in preventing those types of uh, threats from becoming uh reality and, and so you know it's a question of well that's because we spent the money there or you know we diminish the threat such we can reduce how much we spend there but i think another thing too is is if you spend more money on education you spend more money on the well being of the community uh then people are less apt to go and engage in criminal activity yeah, and uh so yeah and so again that that's part of the debate about um uh, funding for the police is it's not just within the, the, the scope of uh, police investments but all public expenditures where's it going what's the outcome and what's gonna have a better long term effect on the goals you're striving to have uh, you know, realize um,
0: so total random question did you watch the the beginning of the DC protests the other day where they put on where they had the curfew?
1: Uh, yes.
0: So you you're watching that on T V?
1: The uh, were you talking about Lafayette Square and St. John's Church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: that was crazy. I, I thought I was watching a movie, man. I was flipping in between yeah. like Fox and CNN, just gauging like what I'm really supposed to be picking up, right? And it, it was craziness because you see them just getting mowed down by a bunch of uh, people with riot shields, police officers with riot shields. They're just what were the uh, they're smoke grenades? They were just blasting smoke, yeah. They, I flash mean, there's bangs. some,
1: uh, they, I think they use some flashbangs,
0: they use some uh, pepper spray. Have you, have you seen the pictures of the rubber bullets?
1: Yeah, and the, <laughs> the that big, one, the yeah. big yeah. ones.
0: Yeah. I saw the protesters that lose their eyes from various yeah. it's crazy, but yeah, I thought I was watching a movie. I just see all these protesters getting mowed down, and I see Trump making his way to the church, and he's holding the Bible, just like it was, it was something. I, I literally thought I was watching a movie, he was holding it, and it was cringiest things i've ever seen
1: yeah i uh i don't know what to think about all of that <laughs> i mean I, I think it's terrible i think it it is uh the whole, shocking it's just uh a,
0: it's just a sequence of events that really i was just right. wow yeah it's
1: it's uh i think it sort of fits within this zeitgeist like that is like trumpian activity and behavior yeah uh, it was very impulsive not well thought out <laughs> uh nobody sort of thought well what are we going do, you think do with cabinet all those people said, there?
0: You think they were like, yeah, they're backing it? They're like, oh, that sounds like a great idea.
1: I, I think there was probably some voices of like, well, I don't know about this, but I think that the president just has a uh, interpersonal approach that uh, right. makes people uh, dispute him or uh, give him sort of, uh, you know, alternate ideas about what to do. I think he wins over the day and, and demagogues and beats people down. Uh, And I think as a result of that, over time, people are less willing to dissent uh, and give him uh, feedback that may not uh, be supportive of what he wants to do. Uh, uh, And so that, I think, just in general, is not good for government. It's not good for leadership. We want to hear differing views. We want to hear somebody say, you know, that that may not be a good idea. Let me tell you why. And then the leader who's ultimately going to make decisions to say, you know what? I I might have had the wrong thought at first. Maybe you're right. I don't think that happens very much in this uh, presidency. Yeah,
0: and he gets and, rid of people who dispute him, I feel like. Yes, um, yes. I don't know who he's most recently changed. Do you, do you know who he's most uh, recently changed in his I don't know who's presidency. most recent.
1: I mean, there have been some people at the Defense Department who were was it you know,
0: let go. Was it Powell? Uh, who?
1: No, Powell's been retired for some time. But uh, he
0: he stopped backing. He, yeah, he, he came out like... and
1: said, I, I'm not going to vote for the president. Uh, yeah. Which is, is big. I think people see him as a very senior statesman and, and a sort of wise man Yeah, uh, who, who uh, certainly has a reputation for being smart and thoughtful uh, that I think people respect. And and to, and to a certain extent, bipartisan uh, or nonpartisan. And you know, I certainly worked for George W. Bush and was the Secretary of State. But I think people respect his long military service uh, and, and give him a lot of uh, benefit of the doubt for that. Uh, but you've had people let go from the Defense Department and the State Department recently. The Inspector General from the State Department was let go. Perhaps he's the most recent one uh, who was fired. Uh, but, you know, Secretary of State and the Attorney General and and on and on, you know, there's a litany of people who sought to, uh, you know, General Mattis, uh, people who sought to try and advise the president in dissent and steer him to make good decisions. And they were like, I, I cannot succeed here.
0: Um, earlier we talked about, you know, kind of how the media dominates what's going on in all of our heads. Um, right now it's obviously George Floyd and the protesting, but if you just go back a month ago, <laughs> coronavirus then you go back two months ago it's iraq so i think that's very interesting and then you know just the difference between cnn fox is just really representing the polarization i like to switch back and forth just because just to gauge you know what i really want to pick and take from each i don't want to i don't want to you know be blind to one side and you know blind to the other obviously there's violent protests going on but it's a very very small percentage of you know Antarctica anarchists yeah anarchists yeah um but yeah
1: locators yeah
0: yeah it's crazy
1: well i'm glad to hear that you do that and i certainly think it's important that more people do that i'm sure we all have
0: do you think there's a friends better media outlets i mean fox and CNN are both pretty weak in my opinion when it comes right. to when it comes to really you know enlightening news yeah uh, i like bloomberg i like bloomberg
1: yeah i think bloomberg can be pretty objective it's pretty um, left
0: though right
1: um i mean I, I, I don't I, I haven't found them to have a particular bent in that regard i think uh i read the wall street journal uh, i read the new york times Washington new york times Post. is pretty
0: straight down the middle right
1: i think it is uh i think people think that they have some selectivity in, in the articles they write and certainly their op- opinion is yeah, your op-eds the left, I mean, but that's, of course yeah. yeah that's supposed to have a, a perspective um and
0: uh plus i feel like it's hard to write um an op-ed that's you know fairly right in a way. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it's easier to write an op-ed for left because it's more opinionated in a way.
1: Well, I think in the current time, you know, you have Being something the to reflect times, against, yeah. and, you know, whatever the president may be doing. Is I gonna guess that's
0: be. a very broad accusation, but...
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was talking with a friend recently, and he, uh, I was unaware that he'll, like, go on to Fox News and write provocative comments. And I was like, really? What? Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad somebody's doing that, but uh, you know, he's like, well, sometimes I'll just like come off as a, you know, this type of person or that type of person, just to see what kind of comments I get. Like, right. Oh, well, he's okay. just
0: a he's just a keyboard warrior. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> he's just an internet troll. Yeah, I know some people locally. Uh, some of my buddy's dads actually talk on Fox sometimes. Uh, one of my one of my really good friends' dad is um he was a former DEA, like very very senior level, so he's on Fox all the time. <laughs> He's just a funny guy, so they throw him on there. And,
1: I mean, I don't know if we need more media. Um, it's hard to uh, prevent it from either people perceiving it to be or it actually going to one political bias or another. Um, and finding, you know, genuinely objective news that everybody's going to agree on, the matter of facts, is, is hard. And we certainly see that with social media uh, companies uh, in how they are trying Sensor. to... Yeah censor or fact check or do nothing at all
0: we should have another podcast because there's just so much there's just so much going on with social media and you know i feel like trump should just delete his twitter at this point because it's just doing it's just doing all harm at this point yeah i Uh, mean i
1: think he he likes it because he sees you know the likes and and such go uh, forward and gotta hurt him though you think it's gotta hurt him for the most part i think so but i don't know if he gets that (laughs) I think he sees it as his voice, his way of you know reaching out to uh, the the people who support him. Uh, Yeah, lately. Sometimes it just it goes way too far. Uh, Yeah,
0: lately I have to take a break sometimes, but I've been all eyes on social media lately, and just for my age bracket, he's just been hurt a lot because you know I used to be I used to be kind of like you know I see some of his policies. He he actually did an okay job with coronavirus, I think, at the end of the day. Um, we had more ICUs per capita than any country. Um, he shut down the border before anybody else. I think there was a lot of pushback. Uh, Pelosi, you know, said, you know, let's not do this. This is going to kill the economy. When he shut down the China Chinese borders. Right. right? And I was like, you know, he did an okay job. And then when this came up, you know, you just see more bigotry. And I just, I don't know, I feel like you really see who someone is in a time of crisis. And that night we were talking about, he can not say anything to calm people down, which was a big, which was a big downfall.
1: Right. Well, I mean, even I think walking to the church and, uh, you know, uh, pulling out the Bible, even if he had done all that stuff, none of which I think was a good idea, uh, but he didn't sort of use the, uh, the calming and uniting,
0: yeah, he's like uh, I'm law and that order.
1: The, the 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 religion and faith can have uh, to talk about the bad things that have happened, but how you know we're gonna as a country overcome these things, and, and you know it, it just all of these points at which the president could have shown sort of unifying leadership that he's taken past that, uh, which I think is unfortunate because I think he he could have stepped in in many of those different settings and right uh, you know expressed some sentiments that were a bit better for the situation we were in. Uh you know everybody's going to have trouble grappling with uh you know very disruptive events. Uh and you know it's nobody should expect uh the response to be perfect. You know you're learning as you go. Nobody had foreseen that this was going to happen now. Uh either the protests or the coronavirus um but you know learning from the past is helpful and instructive and that wasn't something that seemed to have happened a whole lot either.
0: Um, one last question. Do you have any updates? I haven't read much about – I haven't read much up about this, but I know there's talk of a mail-in ballot. Is that, is that still in talks? Cause well, I'm I think
1: uh, elections are – slightly worried
0: about that. Why, why yeah. You do it? Elections why you do are generally
1: uh, uh, administered by the states, and so state by state, they are figuring that out. Some states have gone ahead, and you're – completely eligible to do an absentee ballot without a reason, where you can do a mail-in ballot. Some states already had only mail-in ballots, uh, like Washington State. Um, so I think, there's, you know, I did it recently for the city council election we had last week here in Washington, D.C. Very simple, and it's not uh, really subject to uh, the, the concerns about fraud uh, that have been uh, voiced. Um, voting online is a bit more challenging. We don't have the infrastructure in place. Um you have boards of election that are usually pretty small units of government to go and try to stand something up that uh A, you just won't break down, right? You you want it to work. And then you've got to worry about outside actors, be it either American, you know, people who who like going and just you know monkey wrenching things, uh or foreign actors, you know, who who have so much does that
0: happen? To- How much does you know? When it comes down to, let's say, two months before the election, how much, how much are the wheels turning when it comes to foreign players or you're talking about corruption when it comes to the votes?
1: I mean, uh, election fraud happens in the United States, but it's very rare, And most yeah. of the time, people get caught. And you don't have, like, sort of enough of an effect to change the outcome. And when you do, it's usually pretty obvious. There was a case of election fraud uh, in a Republican congressional election in North Carolina there's one county where they were sort of going and harvesting all the mail and ballots and turning in them, you know, themselves and they got caught and people have gone to jail. Uh you know, according to the FBI and the CIA and, and other folks, uh, you know, Russia had a genuine effort to try and influence the outcome. It wasn't based on tampering with ballots. It was, it was more just trying ads, to like ads create media, like right? divisions and stoke people's uh, conspiracy views about certain things.
0: But it was more done in yeah on the so internet, right? Social a, media,
1: either yeah. through troll accounts um, or through ads uh, or memes or things like that to get posted. <laughs> <laughs> I think that people are much more aware of that now. I, I mean, like I think you know I mean, how was, discerting-
0: I think people see something and they don't really dive into what they just saw they're like that's fact right that's fact and i think that's dangerous
1: well and i think it goes back to you know your willingness to look for information from a variety of different sources i think that that's something that everybody should try to uh engage in and uh those who don't are you know perhaps low information voters who are going to perhaps have their sense of an outcome or who they support already anyway but all of which to say, everybody should be, you know, try to be as informed about the news, what's going on, how they vote, and and not just, you know, take it based on like what Johnny next door posted up. All
0: right. Well, Eric, uh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. That was awesome discussion, and I feel like I've already learned a lot more when it comes well, to politics.
1: My pleasure, Sam. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to uh, hearing the podcast and participating yeah. with you in the future. But uh, great for you to be engaged like this and hope you get a lot of followers and listeners.
0: Thank you, man. You bet, take care.